there are several ways of looking at creation my favorite is to look at it as the dance of ishwara and shakti it is the way the seers and sages saw it all around we see the dance of shakti seemingly rhythmic seemingly reckless but through all of this dance he ultimately is striving to fulfill the ishwara so ishwara also he steadies the dance steadies the feet that is the indian image of shiva lying and his breast he has offered for kali's dance somebody needs to steady her feet and so ishwara steadies her feet so there are at any given point of time anywhere the universe these two aspects which are playing the game and we are caught in it <laughs> sometimes carried by the whirl of prakriti to who knows where though it is to fulfill the ishwara some sometimes very rarely identified with this stable basis but most of the time carried in this dance this dance has two modes before we come to the subject one is the dance of kali which is tremendous it changes time so rapidly that before we can even imagine the ages are the footfalls of a tread that's how shubhendra writes sometimes it takes a very sweet dance of krishna and radha when life is beautiful so in this dance because prakriti is infinite and the ishwara is infinite so it is not a monotone i don't know how many types of dance exist in nature um human beings dance is only one but dance rhythms patterns all a dance millions countless ways because she is infinite she loves to dance but less the dance becomes completely chaotic there are some nodal points so in the dance she has created a web patterns formations for stars galaxies creatures seers sages saints gods demons and of course we humans and through the dance new patterns emerge new creations emerge and yet this wonderful delightful dangerous incomprehensible dance has something within it like a knowledge a will through which it operates so there are in this entire universe we see always these two aspects operating one is the web which is created through the dance the web of nature through which the will of the ishwara manifests in countless ways knowledge and will operating in countless ways but there are also some nodal points where the ishwara presides in his aspect one aspect or the other so one nodal point is of course each individual each of us has something of the ishwara within us like an aspect of the supreme which needs to manifest through aeons through journeys of lifetimes life death rebirth are themselves a pattern in the dance and uh, neither death death is not the end of course in indian thought but rebirth is not about reward punishment but also but just about learning the dance <laughs> so 
So through this process of journey, each individual is meant to express that aspect of the Ishwara which is embedded within. And there, there are a lot of things about uh, you know that can be spoken about it, but that's not the subject. But within each individual, it manifests as the swadharma, the dharma within. It is this dharma is nothing to do with uh, doing you know going to. Um, church or temple or mosque and praying this that this dharma is the unfolding literally dha, dra, that which holds unfolding of the truth within us that's the simplest way and through this unfolding of the truth we evolve if we are aligned with this unfolding the evolution is much faster swifter smoother if we are not aligned which is what adharma is about and you know time spirit and everything then there is this complications which are created he allows it because he is the master so he can study all kinds of feet so this is the individual level at which we see the individual soul and the dance takes place dance of prakriti and we all know that most of the time we are carried by prakriti and we do not know where but if we identify with the ishwara side we'll know where and how she is taking and through all this dance she is preparing us to master her that is the interesting part looks like we are her slaves but she is carrying us to master her become her master at another level this dance also takes place at a cosmic level the world soul where the the ishwara presides not just as an immanent divine but as the master of the worlds the cosmic being and we see this entire dance of shakti taking place all around a pattern which we find very difficult to understand um, stars which are born they die galaxies which take birth and die as a result of this dance not die but absorb back into the footsteps as she moves this is known in you know indian thought but there is a third level of the dance which has not been much spoken about and it is what can be called as the soul of a nation this what so there are three nodal points at which the ishwara with his unique will is is expressing itself now the nation is through a collective unit he is expressing himself individual is swadharma now why this is not been known it has been hinted there is some talk about rashtra dharma and etc but it is more in a general way why it is not spoken of much in the ancient scriptures because nation units are relatively new if you take the long passage of time and they formed they they collapsed and they come up again it is still a kind of work in progress uh, and that's where each nation is meant to represent and express some aspect or the other of the ishwara infinite ishwara as the nodal point so there is the nodal point in the individual and there is also the soul of a nation as vladimir was saying the three steps of vishnu the individual the nation and the world these are a humanity these are the three steps so each nation just as each individual is meant to fulfill one or the other aspect of the idea that is embedded within our soul each nation has its own destiny and just as each individual is not just the soul but a body a mind and a soul so also each nation has a body a mind and a soul the body of course is the geographical boundary which is yet not fixed in many nations 
very often it's created in a very natural way like we see in india some countries and then it has a psychological or a mental mind which is created by all the individuals which are living within us their cells and each of this individual contributes it's this through this psychological body we see the uh, emergence of culture which is the highest point that a nation can give a nation you the highest the best the noblest and for each nation it will be unique and different that's how it should be it's not a monotonous dance and then of course the soul of the nation which expresses itself through the ages so this is a larger picture and then we zoom in on to india <laughs> so what does india represent what is the soul of india what is the role in the world we can only understand if if we see the soul of india now what is the soul soul is something which remains the same through all the i mean it grows and evolves but it doesn't get destroyed it is the one element civilizations come and go of course there is a difference between civilization and culture civilization is something more outward it has to do with the systems the law order administration etc culture is what the thought and feeling of a nation creates as the high points so when we look at like we talk about indus valley civilization there is a civilization how it's built but when we talk about indian culture then we talk about kalidas and vyas and valmiki that's the culture the ramayana and the mahabharata we talk about japan the samurai that's the culture but when we talk about civilization it's about the administration the efficiency and the way the whole system governs so that's there in every every nation unit uh, so in india the manifestation of the divine seems to be as is very evident if you look through the indian history to be the spiritual guru of the world this is so evident it's like if you look at the indian history the one common refrain thread which runs through the entire history of india never there was an a time period in india when there never were any spiritual beings sages saints seers to carry on to give the light to the world never even in this fallen ages what we call as the dark ages even then we see we see the you know sikh religion which comes we see the saints uh, bhakti marg many of them north southern part east west everywhere we see these saints who were carrying the light even in the darkest stages so always the role of india has been to be the spiritual guru of the world and in certain sense in this sense we can say rightly that it is the soul of the world if you look at geographical history of india how india is formed it's to me i find it very fascinating and number of times i have watched it the way there was one continent then split into two and then they move it's amazing you can literally feel that when one part touches the other i'm forgetting now the names um, what is it eurasia or something no not eurasia polynesia and it hits another part so you see india literally like a heart going and touching and joining the two then of course further drifts take place and through that the himalayas come into existence and the oceans it's like the world finds a heart and if you if i look at india um, just its features it does look like a heart so it is its special role it is a yagna which is going on in india and what kind of yagna it is to understand india we need to understand what this yagna is so um, i mean that's how we have to see not just outer parameters so very often we hear this 
oh india had such rishis munis saints sages vedas upanishads gita look at the condition of india what is what's happening there well um i am not going to enter into politics ki come now and see <laughs> gujarat and ayodhya but i just want to put it very simply uh which is the place uh if a student is doing his you know kindergarten primary secondary school uh, he is given certain challenges through which one has to move but when you want to do phd then the challenges are many more every person who is engaged in yoga knows this that when we have to make a progress the challenges that come are far more intimidating of course some have taken the challenges earlier lucky ones some have to face it so india is doing phd <laughs> in evolutionomics and uh, don't look for dictionary meaning of this word in the economics of evolution so we see that all the problems of the world rushing towards india to find the true solution it's very beautifully described in ancient fables so you see it's not only today that you know india had to face through this uh, i mean last thousand years all this onslaught always if you go back to vedic times we will hear in the ramayana stories that all kinds of invasions took place to destroy the yagna um and i don't know why they wanted to destroy the yagna poor fellows were doing some fire sacrifice <laughs> why it is being destroyed precisely because it is through sacrifice that whatever element is there in our nature gets purified refined and then you can use it for the world sacrifice is basically a process of inner alchemy the ancient christian mystics when they spoke of alchemy they were speaking of tantra they didn't know what they are speaking but i mean they knew but people around didn't know it was a tantra where you put in all the energies and these energies get purified and refined so the asuric elements don't want this kind of refinement and purification because this refinement purification means creation will advance that's what our journey is from the gross to the refined to the subtle to the purer forms of things so this yagna which goes on in india we see from time sempiternal always we see attacked by the asuras i don't know why they have taken such a fancy to come to <laughs> um land jahan log kehte na bhooke nange log rehte the why they were rushing here because there was something in india which the new can change them when someone asked shurbindo it was in the ashram context all kinds of people come here so why is it so he said that first of all if only the goody goody type came the satvik nature people then the problem of the rajasik tamasik and crude natures will remain totally not worked upon so they have to come second is that where else they will go the refuge of the lost and third is that they come for refining and purifying their elements by offering themselves into the yagna this idea of a yagna taking place within a country and its fruits is embedded in the indian stories one story which i love many of them i love but uh, sorry i like probably you know <laughs> or love okay i love fine <laughs> whatever it means 
I love these stories. <laughs> I love the characters of these stories. Um, is the story of Sati. It's very beautifully describes about a nation. So the story of Sati is in the hoary past. No, nobody knows which past. You don't even know whether the action is taking place on the physical plane or in the supraphysical plane. Most likely in the supraphysical planes. But through that, the physical plane story will manifest. Like the Devasur Sangram. It's not taking place on physical plane. Please don't look for a Shirshagar and you know, all that happening here. But it's taking place on another plane and it spills. And a little bit of that Amrit spills where of all the places in the Sangam in Prayag. So that's why every 12 years the sadhus go to take a dip. You know, they are fighting somewhere up above. When few drops of that bliss spills of all the places it has to look for India. <laughs> that river, <laughs> Ganga, Yamuna, Saraswati and get into that place, Sangam. And that's why it becomes such a special place. Apart from all of them having a mystic symbols and I must resist my temptation to get into stories. But this is the story of Sati. So no one knows that time. It's like a world, you know. World is, uh, uh, who is which is run by a gentleman called Prajapati. He is the lord of the king, Praja. All the human beings are under his control. He is the Pati. So he has uh, made uh, rules and regulations through which people must move. That's how, you know, every country, everybody makes the rules and regulations. But what he has done is he says only you will grow by rules and regulations. But he doesn't like Shiva. Why he doesn't like Shiva? Shiva is freedom. You can't put him in any slot. You can't say he is uh, like a beggar because he lives like one because he can grant any boon that he wants to. So how can he be a beggar? He is riding on the bull but all the wealth of the world can be at his command. So they don't understand. He says, no, this, this degree of freedom I cannot allow. So once he has a yajna, he calls his daughter Sati who is married to Shiva. That's a long story. Interesting story. And he deliberately says Shiva won't come because if he comes, he upsets the balance. If he comes, people start taking him as an ideal. So they say we don't need Ferrari, we'll be fine on the bull, we can wear a, you know, Murik Chala and roam around, we don't need these rules, regulations, freedom, all, you know, so, no, 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 let him stay where he is, he loves Samshan, after the dead you go to the abode of Shiva. So Shiva is denied entry and Sati comes, she is, of course, nature, spirit of nature which wants to be with Shiva. And she is, sees that Shiva is disrespected. To cut a long story short, she plunges into the fire in this world yagna and she leaves a body. Then a meli follows. Shiva comes and uh, out of a strand of his ear, Veerbhadra comes. All quick scenes, I am just saying as a trailer. So the rest is there in the eternal feminine, this story of Sati and <laughs> Parvati. So he comes, Virbhadra comes and he destroys the entire yagna. This is not how you can do yagna. You can't govern the world without God. You, you deny entry to Shiva, that means you deny entry to evolution. He has to break the patterns for new patterns to emerge. And if you want to fix things in a standardized perfection, a rational order, then it's like fixed in disorder. See what reason does? This is what it does. It puts us in a kind of loophole within which everything is in its place except for going beyond it. Reason will deny you. You want to go beyond, so it says no, let's argue out. 
and there will always be two parties one believing in god one doesn't believing in god so it ends up creating a division so shiva ultimately shiva comes it is destroyed and shiva carries the body of sati and as he is carrying the dead body of sati and lamenting that a world had forgotten the divine vishnu comes from behind and cuts apart into some 51 or 52 parts depending upon how you take it and all these parts fall at different places so when they fall at different places you know what comes out of that it is the spiritual map of a united india if you draw a formation it's like a formation all around and with that the soul of india is born it's a new yagyavedi this is okay if you are trying to do just the world yagna will create this so the soul of indian nation is born all around there is the shakti peet extending also into baluchistan just for information so all this area becomes a yagyavedi and within this parvati is reborn and she is the purified earth nature she is a purified form now sati has gone into yagna parvati comes and she unites with shiva so shiva and parvati becoming one is the union of the divine soul and material nature that's what we see in the shivalingam it is the divine soul and material nature coming together this was foreseen this was the purpose for which this yagyavedi that we call as india is formed now in this yagyavedi everything has to come to be purified you can't have only very nice goody people so india has another very interesting speciality that you will see the best you will also see the worst where will they go <laughs> if if you see the worst kind of nuttiest cases <laughs> going to a doctor what does it speak of does it speak something about the patients or does it speak something about the doctor it speaks about the healer the healer is capable he can heal the worst cases can come and he can heal so we see this strange paradox in india the highest that thought could envisage the greatest philosophies countless the vedas and always there is a new addition after three vedas the fourth one came into existence then even atharva veda then they called mahabharata also as a veda and of course savitri is the ultimate veda so you have always this constant veda the secret knowledge unfolding itself the upanishads the shat darshanas the puranas call it and then the literature uh, vyas valmiki and kalidas alone are enough to you know uh, ride over everything on one side you see all this on the other side you will see the most corrupt politicians systems not now fortunately things are changing and i am saying this with completely a political uh, things things are changing for good and personally i am experiencing it many people so this is because they come for purification why because before i can be a guru i must myself would have solved the challenges how can a healer who has never treated a case you know that joke about a surgeon that a patient goes and says doctor please be careful i am undergoing surgery for the first time and the doctor says don't worry <laughs> it's my first time also that i am operating upon i am operating upon someone we are on the same page so <laughs> india has chosen to undertake 
to find the lasting solutions to all the problems that vex humanity. So it draws, absorbs, assimilates, things get purified, changed to the extent they can be changed. And if they cannot be changed beyond a point, you see all these, when the invasions took place, you see they underwent, they tried to change but underwent themselves to change. During the British invasion, we see that people talk about they looted Kohinoor and God knows what all was looted. Uh, I don't have a count of it. Many things were looted. But knowingly, unknowingly, they also looted the Bhagavad Gita. That's how it went in one of the loots. And they discovered the book and the world discovered the Gita and the wisdom. So always they come. They come because they want the problem to be solved. And we see this secret in Savitri where Shurabindu says the avatar must bear every pang and sorrow of the world. How can he otherwise solve? That's something very beautiful about Shurabindu and the mother. That's why I don't like going to Swamiji's who never got married and you know sannyasis. What will you understand sir of our problem? You don't even know the problem. You are giving solutions. I hear them, you know, all the pulpits, they will say, no, husband and wife should live harmoniously together. They should never fight. So I sometimes ask, sir, are you married? Talk about it later. (laughs) It sounds so wonderful, idyllic. Never scold children, be always, you know. All the solutions in the world. Even about job, they will give lectures on how to be in a corporate sector and job. Sir, have you worked in an organization? So we see Shurabinda and the mother, like all avatars, they take upon themselves all the problems. Then they can say, because then it becomes authentic. Otherwise it has no meaning. It is just like shooting in the air. So India has taken within itself all the various problems. It's an amazing country where uh, you see not only every people often speak about heterogeneity and you know diversity. You know, India is not only diverse in terms of the religious beliefs and the different streams of cultures and nationalities coming. India is heterogeneous not only today since ages before other countries were formed in terms of another kind of diversity which is the real diversity, different psychological types of humanity. It always knew that there are 10 psychological types of humanity. I am not talking of the DSM 4 or 5 you know, 10 personality disorders, 10 different types of psychological types of humanity, ranging from the Rakshasik, the Pishachik, the Asurik, to Vanara and, you know, Pashu, and so on, and Manushya, then Deva, Gandharva, Deva, and God knows, you know, 10 different layers of humanity, and you'll find all of them there. It's a marvelous discovery to make. So, its role is essentially... When we use the word, Mother has said, Shubhindu has said, India's role is to be the guru of the world. But this guru of the world doesn't mean just simply that, you know, a Swami from India comes, gives a nice lecture and that's it. That's the minimum. It's not about lectures. It's about working out a problem within its being. Whether it be the problem of unity and diversity, the original plan of God. Unity in diversity has very little to do with all religions coming together and shaking hands and saying, let's have an interfaith dialogues. That is not the original diversity. That is all human encrustations, fossilization. Diversity is the different ways through which human beings have expressed themselves. Or rather, God has expressed himself through humanity. This diversity is fascinating. And then, 
बिहाइंड देम ऑल वन यूनिफाइंग प्रिंसिपल टू एन एक्सटेंड सनातन धर्म एट सॉल्व इट यू सी हाउ डिड इट सॉल्व इट इट सेट रिगार्डलेस यू यू मे हैव दिस बिलीव दैट बिलीव दिस पाथ दैट पाथ काउंटलेस पाथ इफ यू जस्ट रीड द नंबर ऑफ सेक्स दैट एग्जिस्ट इन इंडियन थॉट एंड ऑल अंडर वन रूब्रिक ऑफ सनातन धर्मा यू ट्राई टू डिफाइन सनातन धर्मा इट्स सो डिफिकल्ट टू इट इट एस्केप्स ऑल डेफिनेशंस ऑल दैट वी नीड टू नो इज दैट देर इज ए ट्रूथ इटर्नल एंड इट इज दिस ट्रूथ दैट हैज बिल्ड द वर्ल्ड इज अनफोल्डिंग इट सेल्फ दैट्स ऑल दैट इज रिक्वायर्ड मैटर गिव इट वॉट नेम और एनी एनी काइंड ऑफ थिंग सो इट ऑलमोस्ट सॉल्व दिस प्रॉब्लम बाई एक्सेप्टिंग एकोमोडेटिंग एंड एसिमुलेटिंग ऑल दिस डिफरेंट अप्रोचेज इन सर्च ऑफ द truth which is ultimately behind creation even a scientist who may not believe in god but is moving towards that in his search pursuit is part of that larger sanatan dharma in oroville when this is the experiment incidentally going on in oroville so human unity so when um, i think it was russians or probably who said no no but we don't believe in god we like your project but you know they had not heard the story of prajapati so <laughs> they said <laughs> we don't believe in god but we believe in we like your project all our brothers so then mother asked them okay they don't believe in god so okay but they do they believe in progress yes we believe in progress we believe in perfection says so, okay substitute the word with perfection that's it as simple as that so it's not necessary that you know it has to be in this format or that format so in a way india had solved this problems so it has that know how at one point of time it knew how to deal with all these various challenges for instance before all this thought came in you know there are elements uh, then how do you like all are one nowadays we always hear all are one all are one all is good yesterday we also love all what does it mean so we can touch it touch upon it so if somebody is there so what does sri krishna do in the gita if we have to love all why is asking dhananjaya raise the gandhi arise shoot arrows it's not just a, a metaphysical or you know it's it's a real command given on what basis and we see that um, indian thought always saw that the collective march of mankind is the important issue and if something stands in the way be it kansa or ravana or hitler or the kuru clan you have to fight nothing individual it's not a individual hatred that is fighting but for the love of the world for the love of the divine manifestation so it had given an answer to this just imagine this is such a complete answer um in contrast with the human mind creating one dogma be non violent towards all i mean how do you do that even in your own life if you adopt that attitude you will remain stuck there you know, there are a lot of people who suffer because of this they come and tell me sir how to make this decision because if i take this decision my mother in law is unhappy my daughter in law is unhappy my wife is unhappy my sister is unhappy my husband husbands are not unhappy not supposed to be unhappy so you know finally <laughs> he has to say checklist okay so i tell them look always somebody will be unhappy that's never a basis of taking decision if you take a decision based on that you will be ever confused so what is the basis of taking a decision so indian thought will say dharma that's it keep dharma in the center and it was interwoven in the fabric of indian life for instance what's marriage about 
मैरिज इज अबाउट धर्म हाउ इन द सेंटर इज फायर नॉट इन लॉस फॉर गॉड सेक नॉट हजबेंड नॉट वाइफ नॉट मनी नॉट एम्पायर स्टेट बिल्डिंग नॉट मर्सिडीज नथिंग फायर ट्राई टू गेट इन टू द सेंटर यूल बर्न डोंट प्ले दैट टाइम एट द सेंटर धर्मा वॉट इज द वॉट इज धर्मा द अपवर्ड राइजिंग फायर इट्स ऑलवेज सिम्बलाइज बाई फायर अग्नि दैट विच टेक्स एस फॉरवर्ड एवर फॉरवर्ड सो कीप दैट इफ हजबेंड एंड वाइफ कम टूगेदर एंड दे नो दैट अवर लाइफ इज मैंड फॉर ए फॉरवर्ड मार्च individually supporting each other and collectively supporting the larger play life would be beautiful where will be time left to you know discuss and argue uh, you did that wrong and i did that wrong and you did this and i did this center is this so center is dharma let's see it had tried to solve all these problems these solutions exist but they need to be given a new form so often when people come together let's say husband wife scenario and they come sometime they fight in my room for 2 hours and i have to go out <laughs> because i don't know what to do now <laughs> yeah it happens i had such a situation they are fighting so i go out and say i'm closing the door when it's over tell me i'll come and sort out <laughs> so all that is required is to ask what is the center point of your life is it wealth it won't last it will collapse is it something outer it won't last is it dharma yes you have a chance work through that so in every sphere of life in education what is it the education you see people talk about um, so what was the first thing first 25 years when people went into this ashrama when they were being educated what was taught to them fundamentally it was dharma what is dharma not that a religious book was taught to them what is at the basis of everything what is the basis of creation understand dharma and everything else so if one wants to understand indian thought one is to understand dharma which is unfortunately has been mistranslated as religion there is no concept of religion the way it is understood in indian thought you may go to a temple you may not go to a temple you may even disbelieve it doesn't matter dharma is something much more fundamental it's inbuilt it is that which holds creation dra dharana dharti dharitri dhuri it's all about that which holds what is the core aspect of our existence what is the core so that's what one has to search and find and today is the time when world is struggling for that we are trying all kinds of outer solutions it won't work because it must find this core what is the core of humanity it's not just in our surface you know we can imagine a situation where all human beings come together and we have world unity and we have a grand party no what will be served in the party of the world unity chicken tandoori and fishes from the oceans and when we have exhausted that we look for aliens to fight with it's not that world unity which is important human beings for the sake of humanity this never has been indian thought humans for the sake of divine the the value of human is not what he is but in what he can become otherwise we can have a world unity by some kind of you know there have been attempts at world unity by the formation of empires every empire was an effort at world unity but it collapses because that core is missing so human beings coming together and becoming one all human beings from today as you know uh, 
Tolstoy's son had told the mother, we all will speak the same language. Then humanity can become one. What a naive idea. You know, people who speak the same languages, put them together in one room, they will start fighting in that language. And and he even said the language will be Esperanto. Sometimes much better if people don't know the same language and they are maybe even wedded together because they don't understand (laughs) whether this person is praising you or he is accusing you. So you are safe. But if you have the same language, chances are very high that you will fight. So that was not the solution at all. See, all this has been worked out. We just have to dig out and bring it out before the world. So this is the basis, the solution that it gave us, dharma. Second is spirituality. It's the master key of Indian thought. And that's where we see this division between the way fundamentally um, Indian thought is built. In a certain sense, all Eastern thought. In the West it was there, but it began to lose itself. Their metaphysics, this uh, spiritual leanings have been all over the world, mystics all over the world. The other day we were talking about, we talk of them as poets, but Blake's poem, I think um, Brother Narada was mentioning few, my own favorite Blake, hold eternity in a grain of sand. Now these are all mystic experiences, though we talk of, speak of them as poets, but they are mystic poets. So when we look at um, this spiritual element, what is the fundamental difference in India's vision? India says that behind all these ever-perishing things, there is a fundamental reality which cannot be destroyed, which is indestructible, which is divine, which is purest of the pure, which is holiest of the holy. And that we must discover and base our life on that. That's what spirituality is about. Spirituality is not about a practice. This is going down many notches. Ravana meditated for thousand years. What came out was a ten-headed ego. It's about what is at the base. And at the base, if there is this indestructible element, immortal, imperishable, akshitam, aksharam, that's how, you know, Sri Krishna received the mantra, akshitam, achyutam, achyutam keshvam ramnarayan. That's how it goes. So, there is something which can never be destroyed, which is the purest of the pure. If you identified with that, that is a sense of spirituality. But when you identify with the body, Dehe Atma Bodh, then you have an Asuric civilization, which revolves around simply the physical vital needs. All its progress is always subject to collapse. Does it mean that it is not needed? It is needed. But the basis should be this. That's how Shubhinda says East and West must come together, but the basis will be Eastern. By that he means that we must, we must understand and accept that this is the, there is a divine reality at the base of this creation. Then only anything carries a meaning. Then outer progress and all this can take place. So this is India's work, her special mission and role to reveal this truth, not just as some various paths of, you know, to find the divine. In the heydays of India, that was not the only thing. In the heydays of India, it revealed how that truth can manifest in every sphere of human existence. A dynamic spirituality. So when we look at India, every dance in India owes itself to some aspect or the other of God. You have Bharatanatyam. You have, you know, from Shiva, the music comes. Language comes. When with the right hand he does the Damaru, Sanskrit is born. If the left hand it comes, Tamil is born. And But Tamil and uh, 
Sanskritists will fight who is superior. In Shiva, they are one. You know, that's how Shiva Tandav Stroth. So, Nataraj. So, everything, dance, language, everything comes from this reality and it's connected to that reality. It's a different thing that it's forgotten. Sometimes we become too much externalized and follow it ritualistically. That's a different thing. But the core is this. And that core is something very beautiful in every sphere. Literature, art, poetry. You see, it celebrates this one who takes diverse forms. So when we go back, I give a few examples. Education. As Shubhendu says, everything in India is a sikadosi. When a child is born or conceived, it is a sacred act. So how it is a sacred act? Because it's not just a body which is coming, but the soul which is going to take birth. So there used to be Garbhadhana Sanskar, seventh month. Uh, some people do it five months. Now you see this problem of abortion never occurred. Seventh month you have the Garbhadhanam Sanskar. Mean, meaning thereby now the soul is watching over. You do this Sanskar. And something so beautiful when you look at that whole thing. That you know, then when... Birth take place, there is another sanskar. When you feed, it is annaprashan. So you have puja and you feed. And then when you have to start uh, writing the first syllable, so you utter in the ears of the baby, om or something like that. And then you write first letter, what you will write after holding. So it becomes, everything becomes a puja. By puja is meant something sacred. There is something unique about the sense of the sacred which we have completely lost. See, this is the problem with a kind of thought which, a kind of reason. I am not saying that reason cannot show you the sense of the sacred. It can. But this is a kind of reason which deconstructs everything. It takes away the sense of the sacred and makes everything, deconstructs it, makes all on level ground. This is the oneness of death. That's not what India is. There is the sense of the sacred. Something so beautiful, the world has forgotten it. It is even regarded, why? Because it was relegated, even in other parts of the world, it was relegated in some special places. When you go to church, sense of the sacred. When you come out, you are looking for a smoke. That's not how the sense of the sacred in life, everything is sacred. That's why when people used to die, so how do you do pay respect in India? So when people die, you go there and do pranam. So somebody asked me once, He's dead. Why do we do pranam to him? I said, you see, <laughs> look carefully. Even in the shower, Shiva resides. Even in the dead, Shiva resides. Somebody had asked the mother, where does sense of sacred comes from? It comes from the divine presence. Somebody had asked mother, that you know, sometimes we see picture, this, that, thrown here. She said the divine presence is in everything and everywhere. From there comes this idea of taking care of material objects. If you look at the entire handicraft system, the way it's such love and care which is poured into creating a small piece of art. It's a worship. So the idea of worship was to treat everything with the sense of the sacred. When we do that, then life becomes a worship. It becomes a prayer. This was the great message of the India. But then yes, it was lost. It had to be eclipsed and there was a purpose behind it. Also, this individual yagna started in India 
since the time of Sati had to spread into the world. So nations came searching for spices in India. They came dis- trying to discover India. But in discovering India, they started discovering their own soul. So this is the way India as a guru has to give its gift of light to the world. That's what mother has said. India's role is to be the guru. And this guru is nothing to do with Gerua Vastra. This guru has nothing to do with wearing a mala and putting a tripund and sitting on a pulpit with big garlands and saying nice slokas and telling bacha you be happy. It's nothing to do with guru that way. Who is guru? Guru has no external markers. Guru is the one who carries us towards light. Also heaviest in terms of jnana. He is a guru. And what is the role of the guru? To show light. Impartially, impersonally. Without asking money. A guru who asks money. That's why in ancient India, it's very interesting. You see how education was carried out. When in ashram school, there is no uh, exchange of wealth. Even in Auroville, it meant to be like that. No teacher is paid. No student is charged. And no donation specifically by the rich and famous for the school. You can donate to the ashram. And when mother was asked, Mother, why you have kept it like that? She said, education was never sold in India. Why it is not sold? Look at just one simple thing. And what is the profound meaning within it? Can you put a price tag to knowledge? Can you say in thousand dollars I am going to do this course? Can knowledge ever be, if you put a price tag, you have reduced it. It's infinite. How can there be any price tag to knowledge? So then how were they running themselves? These uh, people who were teachers. That's why there was the concept of Guru Dakshina. You out of your own voluntary or the Guru can ask. He has the freedom. But it's not a price tag. He can ask anything and you give as Guru Dakshina because there is no cost. You cannot, you know, knowledge is the highest value. You cannot just put a price tag. So the disciple was ready. Whatever you ask. There are interesting stories of the Guru asking disciples strange things. Go to the forest. Get hundred cows lean and thin. Make them four hundred and return. Sometimes to annex a kingdom. Sometimes a piece of thumb. And in all these stories there is a deep profound meaning. The Adhikar. What he is learning. So it was called Guru Dakshina. Same thing applied to physicians incidentally. I do believe seriously that these two professions, there should be no change of money. People should joyously if they feel. So for physicians, how will they survive? So I used to have this, how can one live? I also don't want to charge. Fortunately, mother kept me free of this. <laughs> but then I found somebody told me something in Ayurveda. They say, see, here it is written. So what was written? Yavat kanth gate pranaha. Till you have breath, it meant like this, till you have breath in your uh, throat, make sure that you have paid to the physician. Otherwise, you have no place in the other worlds. He has given you life. So I used to say, this is not fair. I changed it a little. Yavat, Kantikate, this is breath. Physician, you better treat. Don't give up. No euthanasia and all that. 
but this was the way system was organized certain things were kept sacred each group of now there another very interesting aspect violence we often talk about violence violence non violence violence indian thought recognized that violence is an aspect of creation in nature it is there in i mean stars are destroyed the dance of shiva kali she too is godhead so what do you do with the violent impulses that are there in mankind give them a channel and a direction so there was the kshatriya type the knight the samurai you have this aggressive impulses train them discipline them use them to defend the right to protect the weak that's how you direct this violence so that it can be rightly channelized if you don't train and teach a generation then what happens people become mercenaries they become you know ww wrestlers they do things for money another good way to channelize the violent impulses is in sports sports also you can do that so this this is the message that india has to give to the world it's not simply there is god there is soul within there is rebirth start believing it that's not uh, <laughs> the true indian thought the sense of the sacred the one expressing himself in diversity indian thought celebrates diversity that's why you see just see the number of dances all emerging from one including some of the things which one finds unspeakable even there there is a shastra and it you see connected with something uplifted it's unimaginable kama sutra it's a shastra you read it's it's not just about sexuality it's about two beings to love and then they come together and how how they join even the role of the physical if you read it for long you won't you wonder what is it about because it's 90% it's about purification of nature 10% is the actual act so this is how one has to understand this large vast catholic spirit of india which in every field of nature experimented tried then put its results and it's still continuing to do that because new challenges are going to come but for that india must regain and recover its true spiritual impulse and on a closing note that's what i feel it's a bit of um, maybe stamp of ascetic spirituality for a long time even till today majority of indians still feel that the sanyasi in dawkar robe is the sign of the uh, you know yogi we have to shake off this slavery to a kind of thought well sanyasi is all right it's one of the paths but the gita speaks of tyaga somebody was speaking vara aparigraha tyaga not sanyasa sanyasa is an externally living things but carrying it inside i am non violent outside but i am very violent inside they dangerous but tyaga is when there is an inner renunciation it need not manifest in anything outward where inwardly you don't possess anything you know it doesn't belong to you but you use it wisely rightly so this is the only thing which i still feel india needs to correct that's why india had to go through a phase of extreme involvement in a rajasic form of life even now which is good for the moment because pursuing the sanyasi's life it fell off from that shakti when shubhendra was asked why is why did india fall it had all these things he said because of want of shakti we have all the gyana all the gurus will come and talk this vedanta that vedanta 
But this want of Shakti, how does Shakti come? She is the dancer. We discover the Aishwara inside and be fine. No? In the dance to bring in the Aishwara, in every movement, that's why you have mudras, gestures, postures, namaste, this, touching the feet. Why touching the feet? For everything, there is a beautiful reason. Because teaches the feet are the path through which the power transmits itself. That's why we do pranam and that's why we do um, touching the feet of the guru, master. It's not a ritual. When you touch the feet, if you look at the human system, it's like earthing. You receive from here and pass it from the feet. So when you touch the feet of the guru, when mother was asked this, he said, it's because the power gets transmitted through the feet of the guru. That's why we have this line in Savitri, both first the mother and where she presses her feet goes miraculous streams of an entrancing ananda. And in Savitri, all nature dumbly calls to her alone to heal with her feet the aching throb of life. In the entire human body it saw gods and goddesses. Every center, speech had to be taken to its highest intensity, paravak, mantra. Speech must become mantra, it gesture. So that's why this namaste, I bow down to the divine presence in you. I, my own favorite is this one. Yeah, in the heart. Not like, hi, it's okay. <laughs> Nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's okay. It's come. But this gesture is so beautiful. Just to touch to the heart. Something because this is the seat of the divine presence. People who do ECG know that this is the neutral, electrically neutral point. Cardiologists know it. So this is where the, there is the divine presence. So everything has to be treated with this. Even in fight, there is there was this code of the Kshatriya. He cannot just fight ruthlessly like a mercenary. He has to, you know, always be aware that he is outwardly he is fighting, but inwardly there is this oneness, even through the fight, even while he is fighting. I'll close with this story of Mahabharata. Um, how India looked at world and creation. So as the story goes that. Kauravas and Pandavas have assembled to fight. Holiday of a fight. They want to, they have different agendas. And in that course, suddenly a warrior arrives, all ready to kill, and he comes, stands on the side of Pandava. Who is he? He is an illustrious son of Arjuna through one of his marriages in the northeastern parts to a Manipuri princess. And he comes. He is a Mayavi. He says, I heard there is a fight going on. Yes. Are these Kauravas, I will slay. I just need. He has got supersonic, uh, super nuclear weapons. So he, before anybody, they are all, there is jubilation in the camp. He takes an arrow, shoots. And almost all are swaying in state of unconsciousness. Arjuna also had this Vidya. Samohini says, now I just need the other one and I'll chop their heads. At that time, Sri Krishna slays him. Can you imagine the mystery of the divine working? It was not as simple as Pandava and Kaurava, good and bad. <laughs> Krishna slays him. But now everybody is surprised. Victory was right there. Of course, Krishna has plans the arrogant Kshatriyas are not only on this side, but this side also. <laughs> but whatever it is, he grants to this head that you will become 
immortal the consciousness in the head will always remain you know they were all these were vidyas 64 vidyas including the vidya to withdraw yourself completely from the body that's how bhishma could stay on that bed of arrows because he had the he had mastered by his will the art of withdrawing completely from the physical consciousness these were all vidyas highest of which of course was brahma vidya so this fellow is there and war is going on 18 days war is over all of them after the war hey we won we won i was the one i was the one so i killed maximum i you know it was all full of i so krishna says why don't you ask this fellow has seen the whole war ah yes yes so they go to this he is now revered as khatu shyam ji but otherwise barbaric so he goes and they go and ask him that uh, tell me what did you see who is the greatest warrior of us all and the head laughed Why are you laughing? He says, "You are asking who is the greatest warrior of all." He says he didn't even lift a finger. Who? He looked at Krishna and smiles. He says he was the only fellow, only one fighting on this side and the other side. Just imagine, on the surface you see two armies engaged in fight in a gory war, which is a fact of. important fact crucial fact necessary for the civilization to advance shobindo says that shri krishna through the mahabharata saved india and the world people talk about bloodshed but he saved india and the world he says but deep behind there is oneness it was taking place that's what shri krishna shows in the vishwarupa so always this play of oneness and the diversity and if we can just live with this we would have found the secret of unity if in every aspect of life you can bring in the divine when we say all life is yoga what does it mean to bring the divine in every aspect of life even walking even gestures food offering as prasad what is it sleep every aspect waking up all these aspects we can bring in the divine in everyday life then life would go beautiful and be prepared to receive the divine and even this instrumental personality undergo a change till we have a divine life in a divine body this the lesson and the message india has to give to the world it will give to the world it is beginning already and more and more we see these solutions do the world problems must come from india and india must show the way how to deal with these various challenges whether it be the challenge of poverty and richness not capitalism not communism again one last thing lastest last okay so you have indian socialism very often people say vedantic socialism what is vedantic socialism we don't just believe in just putting human beings together and you know distribute equally and the human beings are not the first and last word of creation so lord rama is described very beautifully by a poet he speaks of rama and he says ganika ajamil byad geet gajad khal tare gana whom does he love he loves ganika ganika is a courtesan a dancer a lowly 
वोमेन गणिका अजामिल बुच ब्याद हंटर गीद द वल्च जटायु विनो ही हाउ ही गिव्स द फ्यूनरल पायर गणिका अजामिल ब्याद गीद गजाद द एलिफेंट हु इज टॉर्मेंटेड बाय द क्रोकोडाइल खल द वर्स्ट ऑफ द काइंड तारे गणाए ऑल ऑफ देम ही टुक इन टू हिट्स फोल्ड and liberated them this is the idea of the divine we need to have in life not divine of some sect some religions limited to a certain section of humanity this liberating power of the divine whoever touches gautam nari whoever touches his feet can get liberated this is the mighty vision of the divine who dwells in all how to worship him india gave a wonderful formula patram pushpam phalam toyam what should we take to the lord take anything take a basil plant leaf a drop of water everything is accepts a small little story with which hopefully i'll stop <laughs> so a very short one so somebody this told me clear want lady she went to the ashram and she uh, went uh, into shivinder's room and she had put a nice envelope marked donation she will give so suddenly in the room she is searching for the envelope and she cannot find the envelope so she is feeling all flustered what should i do where did i keep suddenly she hears a voice she is clear audience is there she says you can offer your money anywhere in the ashram here offer yourself here give yourself and then she comes back and says it was a life changing when we go to the divine we give ourselves and if there is not this completeness of giving there is not this completeness of transformation one each grain that we have given to the divine is a grain which will be transmuted into gold and everything that we have held back as shubindu said i have lived like a thief that shubindu is saying i always say lord please don't say like this but he wrote i feel like a thief that i have given only two annas to god and kept 14 annas to myself this joy of completely giving ourselves to the divine in love not even for receiving some not even for progress in yoga this that all that pales into insignificance just this joy of giving oneself to the divine and as a result naturally when the divine accepts us and takes us what is going to be the result the result will be transmutation into the being of the divine he whom he embraces and takes into himself cannot come back the same person unchanged as ever so all the many stories are kept into the background and that's it <laughs> we can have the questions at night thank you so much may the world live up to its glorious future and may india take the lead and rise up to the height of its challenging mission but first india must discover its own soul